Amen. Y'all pray for us as we sing today. Um, as we sing in the early service, I was telling, I heard an old preacher man sing this years ago. He and his wife would come to the church and they would sing together. And uh, you just knew this old fella and the life that he come out of and where he wound up. Um, I know some of you probably, probably can exp understand that. I, I can I'm just so thankful for the provisions that God made for us. And uh, one of the things he did was he preserved his word. So thankful that I got a book that I can turn the pages to. Now look, a lot of us have these electronic devices and those are great. But you know, there's something about being able to flip a page and fill in the words. So y'all pray for us. And if you know the song, you're more than welcome to sing the chorus with me. <clears throat> what light is that shining so brightly for me that gives me such courage, the right way to see? What hope for my trusting soul ever shall be? God's wonderful book divine. Well, I love shines well it keeps me so happy God's wonderful book divine what hope for the traveler when strength's almost gone that makes him determined to keep plodding on what sweet consolation from heaven's white throne God's wonderful book divine well I love my old Bible a light on my pathway it shines well it keeps me so happy God's wonderful book divine what chart can you trust as a guide for your soul when tempest would strand you on some treacherous shore what compass will point you to heaven's bright door it's god's wonderful book divine well i love my old bible a light on my pathway it shines well it keeps me so happy God's wonderful book, Divine. Amen. Amen. Well, that's just wonderful. I want to say something real quick. I said this earlier in the first service. So, Brother Pinion was Brother Scott's math teacher in high school. I think it speaks volumes about Brother Scott's testimony because if my high school math teacher walked in here, she would turn around and leave as soon as she saw me. Uh, there's no way we would share space today. So congratulations, brother. You did well. Uh, uh, let's turn, take our Bibles and turn to John chapter 11. John chapter 11. We're going to read the first four verses just to get us into context and then look throughout the passage. So when you find yourself in John chapter 11, if you're capable, 
Uh, stand with me in honor of reading of God's Word. John chapter 11, verse 1. Now a certain man was sick, named Lazarus of Bethany, the town of Mary and her sister Martha. It was that Mary which anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. Therefore the sisters sent unto him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom thou lovest is sick. And when Jesus heard that, he said, This sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, and that the Son of God might be glorified thereby. I want to talk to you this morning uh, on the, the title, Oh, How He Loves You and Me. And um, we're going to speak briefly about Lazarus' death and burial and subsequent resuscitation. Uh, but from there, we're going to look a little closer at the ladies. Would you pray with me? Ask the Lord to open your heart this morning. Ask Him to give to you that thing which you're lacking, to illuminate for you that thing which you've not yet seen. Father, I pray this morning as we move into this service, and Lord, that you would provide for us stillness. Father, that we could come before the throne of God to be taught. Lord, I pray that you would open our hearts and our minds to the truth. Provide us, Lord, with stillness in which to learn. Father, we pray that you would illuminate for us through your blessed Holy Spirit the truths that we see in this passage. Father, those applicable not only to salvation, but Lord, applicable to our relationship with you. Father, I pray you'd work in a special way this morning. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You can be seated. As we enter into John 11, we are preparing to see that seventh miracle of which John highlights. We have talked uh, over the course of the last uh, 25 weeks or so uh, through the book of John that there are seven miracles that John highlights, not that they are the only seven that matter or that they were the only seven which he witnessed, but those seven were used to demonstrate for us clearly not only the, the need for and the act of salvation, but then the benefits of it. And so we're going to see in this passage, this uh, uh, bringing back to life Lazarus, we're going to see the seventh miracle. And these miracles bring into full light the benefits of salvation. If you'll remember, we have uh, witnessed a picture of a joyless existence there at the wedding with no wine. And we've witnessed an impossible situation with the sick child. And we've seen pitiful bondage in the paralytic there at the pool. We've witnessed the unredeemed hungering and helpless in the feeding of the 5,000. We saw the disciples of the Lord caught in a storm against the wind and waves. We saw the the lostness and the darkness of the blind man there uh, born that way uh, with, with born from with blindness from birth. And lastly, here we see uh, the picture of being dead in sins, bound 
up in grave clothes of death and captured in the grave in perpetuity. But we've also witnessed through all of that, that with, with one word, uh, with one touch, with one response, in one moment, the Savior can give joy as He provided wine for the wedding and He can give uh, a faith for the Father to believe that the child would be well and He can provide healing for that paralytic and He can give satisfaction in the bread and peace in the storm and light in the darkness and here uh, life. These are signs of salvation. They're wonderful indeed. I know that many of you here today would likely, pardon me, would likely know the, the details, the facts, if you will, concerning Lazarus. We've heard it all of our Christian lives, and for many of us from the time we were little children on flanograph boards and such as that, and we would see these images and we would recognize that he was indeed the friend of the Lord. He was somebody that Jesus cared about personally. And, and Mary and Martha, his sisters, they also were dear to the Lord. We, we know that he was sick for several days and it looked as if the Lord tarried his coming until it was too late. We, we know that by the time the Lord arrived, he was dead for four days, buried in the grave. His own sister said, by now decay has set in and we know that that there was mourning and sadness and there was regret that the Lord had not come sooner and there was doubt as to what he could do now that he was there and as the scriptures would have it when we read through this passage we notice that just one call from the Lord uh, one call and Lazarus comes out and they turn him loose, get those grave clothes off of him. It was a momentous occasion. It was a victorious occasion. And for some that saw it, it was the seed of faith. And for others, it was infuriating. To the point that they would even say, maybe we need to kill Lazarus too. We need to do away with him as well. The, the picture of Lazarus being brought back out of the grave is indeed a crystal clear picture or type of redemption and regeneration to this end. It is sufficient for us to say that at one time we're all dead in trespasses and sins. Paul said in Ephesians chapter 2, you were dead. You were dead, you were dead, you were bound up. Your sins and trespasses had taken life from you. You were dead in trespasses and sin, but he would go on to say that the Holy Spirit had quickened you, called you back to life. And so we see that at some time we're all in need of redemption and regeneration, which brings a spiritual resurrection of that miracle. Everyone stands in need without exception. But once you're redeemed, you're resurrected to walk in newness of life, a, an abundant life, an eternal life. I think there's a, a pretty amazing picture in the fact that once Lazarus came out of the tomb, he was still bound in grave clothes, alive but not free. Can I tell you, there's a number of born-again believers 
that are alive but not free. They've not been released from those, the bondage of those grave clothes. There's a pretty impeccable picture there. However, uh, my thoughts this week have not been so much upon the death and the sickness and the burial and the resuscitation of Lazarus as they were on the interactions of Christ with the sisters. I saw something this week I've not ever seen before. I'm sure you're aware of the notable difference between uh, Mary and Martha. They're, they're best exemplified in Luke chapter 10. I know you all have read that passage or heard it presented before, wherein the Lord has come to their house for a meal and, and to, to fellowship, and Mary is in one place and Martha's in another. You'll remember that Martha's cooking and cleaning and preparing, and Mary is uh, reclined and relaxed and praising at the feet. Of Jesus. You'll remember that Martha, in frustration, would come and say, Lord, would you please tell her to get up and help me? And, and the Lord would say to, to Martha that, that wonderful line, Martha, Martha, you are encumbered about with much things, but Mary's chosen the good thing. And we would see this, this delineation, this juxtaposition of personalities wherein you would recognize uh, Martha as that, that A-type, busy bee personality and Mary as more of the, the, the emotional type and the sentimental type. In fact, it would be a differentiation for me of practical personality of Martha versus the idealistic or sentimental personality of Mary. And those are my words. They're my assessment. And if you define them differently, that's acceptable as long as we can recognize and agree that they're quite antithetical. They're different from one another. And in agreeing on that, we would agree that not only are they different from one another, but we are different from one another. You and I are different, each other, we're different. The, the way that, that you approach problems or opportunities or success or failure, etc., is likely different than the way I do. There's, there's, there's probably some differences in that. There, there may be some in here, here who, are, who are very emotional and others who are very stoic. If we can agree on that, and I believe we can, I think it, life just speaks to it, I would suggest to you that the way we approach God likely differences, differs as well. The way I come to God, the way I come to the Lord may be different than the way you come to the Lord or you come to God. And that's the title. Oh, how he loves you and me. As we are. How he loves us the way that we come and, and, and in our differences and in our similarities. He, he loves us because he made us as we are. And, and look, I don't know for sure that anybody in here would, but before you try to carry me down some liberal heretic road, I'm not talking about your pet sins. Okay, if, if you... Uh, you can't normalize sin. Sin is sin. And it takes all forms. It may come in the form of disrespect. It may come in the form of, of a number of things. But your sin is a sin. God's not shining on that. And he's not accepting that. And nobody's suggesting that he does. But you may have a different personality. 
You may be a type A. You may be a control person. You may be really laid back. You may be very stoic. You may be very emotional. God accepts you as you come because he made you as you are. And I want us to see that picture in these ladies. In fact, the, the scripture paints for us a picture of, of God knowing us in our womb and, and the words that He uses there in the psalm. He talks about knitting us together and curiously wrought and intricately woven as in a embroidery. And so we're not all robots. We're not all the same. We, some of us are the emotional. Some of us are the stoic. Some of us are fiery. Some of us are really logical. But God responds to each of us the way we come. I want you to notice first in these first four verses we read and then we see again in verse 21 and verse 32, these two sisters held an identical anticipation of what Christ would do. When, when they determined that Lazarus was sick and they were worried about the sickness and the way the sickness was going to go, they sent a letter and this is what the letter said, Lord, uh, he's sick, we know you love him. And their anticipation was that in knowing the need, Jesus would then come, and in coming, He would then heal Lazarus. That's what they believed would occur. They believed that Jesus was able to heal. They believed that Jesus wanted to heal. They believed that Jesus loved them, and that He loved Lazarus, and He wanted what was best for them. And so I think it's pretty obvious that that, it's, that, that is true, or else they wouldn't have sent the message. Why would you call upon the Lord if you didn't believe He was able and willing, if you didn't have a relationship that warrants the call? But they did. They said, Lord, He's sick. We, we see a little further. I mean, I, I suppose somebody could argue about this, but I think the anticipation is so clear because both of them on their own account use the same words, Lord, if you had been here. And then later, Mary would say, Lord, if you had been here. So we understand their, their anticipations were identical. As we continue towards understanding this passage, I wonder just for a minute, could we talk about whether or not we have healthy anticipations of the Lord? Do, do we... Do we have any anticipations at all? Or have we become self-reliant? There's phrases that we use that reveal the latter to be true. Phrases such as, uh, and you look, you may not be guilty here. I may be preaching to myself. If that's the case, you guys just sit back and enjoy. Uh, but if not, do you ever say this? Well, it is what it is. You ever say that? I almost always say it. You know why? Because it is a good way for me to cover up my disappointment. It is what it is. What about this one? Well, the Lord knew that was going to happen. Well, you know, God's sovereign. See, all of those things are, are, are used to shield or shelter the idea that we failed to have any expectation at all. We just have become, uh, to some extent, self-reliant. And, and if we believe we're self-reliant, self 
then my, the question occurs to me, what brought about the belief that we were self-reliant? What have we done? What have we accomplished? What, in what area have we excelled or succeeded to the point that we believe we can just simply depend upon ourselves? We don't need the Lord to do a work. Can I tell you this morning in the, in the clearest tone possible? That's exactly what we need, is that God would do a work. We need to be expectant of God, anticipatory towards God, recognizing that we are powerless, we're helpless in this society to effect a change, and we need to be calling upon God and believing that He will fulfill that thing which we request. That we would have an anticipation of God. Or have we lowered our expectations to accept whatever happens? Or have we lost our faith in the Lord's ability? Well, you know, things are different today. Can I tell you one thing that's not different? God is not different because He's immutable. He never changes. And Jesus Christ is not different. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Well, maybe uh, this is a, a real possibility, and I see this often, unfortunately, in the pastorate. Have we lowered, or excuse me, have we allowed our relationship with the Lord to erode to such a place that we're embarrassed to ask Him? We're embarrassed to have any anticipation. I see it all the time. I see it with folks in church. And, and look, I, you know, this may land on you, and if it does, I apologize. I'm not simply not trying to set you aside or highlight you. But, but if you listen to me, I'm telling you the truth. You know what people do? They, they come to church. And they get involved, and then after a period of time, they, they, they slide out of involvement, and then they slide out of church a little bit, and then they'll, they'll say, well, I'm going to go back. I'm going to go back. I'm going, as soon as this, as soon as that. And then what happens is they're gone so long, they're embarrassed to go back. Because when they go back, they have to explain why they were gone all that time. Can I tell you something? There's a lot of born-again believers that have got that kind of relationship with the Lord. They, they know who He is. They know where He is. They know what He did for them. They know they should be in a close relationship with Him, but they've allowed things to come between them and Him, and they've let it go, and they've let it go, and they've let it go. And because society is the way it is, they've convinced themselves that it's too late to go back now. God wouldn't hear me now. I don't need to go pray now. I'd be a hypocrite if I went and prayed now. I'm just going to keep depending upon myself and accepting things as they are. We see in these two sisters, they had the same anticipation. Their anticipation was that Christ would come and... Fix the problem. Heal the brother. End the sickness. That was their anticipation. I want you to know that he didn't. By the time the Lord arrives in Bethany, it tells us in John chapter 11, verse 17, by the time he gets to Bethany, Lazarus is not only dead, he's been laying in the grave for four days. They have moved 
beyond the, the worry of sickness. They've moved beyond the consternation of the end could be coming. They've moved beyond the, the identity or the reality, I should say, that the end has come. And they've moved into a full-blown morning wherein their only hope is held in the future, in the, the resurrection, in the last day. By the time the Lord catches up with them, they have completed every step of watching that loved one sick, suffer, die, and buried, and they are sitting there in their mourning. That's when the Lord shows up. And uh, in verse 20 through 27, we see Martha's approach to the Lord. In verse 20, it says that Martha, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, he's not there yet, he doesn't go to the house, went and met him. But Mary sat still in the house. Here's another difference between these two ladies. And it says in verse 21 that Martha said unto Jesus, Lord, if thou hadst been here, my brother had not died. But I know that even now, whatsoever thou wilt ask of God, God will give it thee. Jesus saith unto her, thy brother shall rise again. She said, Lord, I know. I know that he shall rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said unto her, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet he shall live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Believest thou this? She said, Yea, Lord, I believe that thou art the Christ, the Son of God, which came into the world. Do you see that approach? It's very, very practical, very proactive. She went to him. He didn't call for her. And, uh, she didn't make a scene. It doesn't look as if anybody even knew she left the house. Uh, she just heard. She went immediately to him. When she was there, she spoke directly to him. We see that her approach was very deliberate. That we, we see in Mary that she's accepted the loss and she's really deep in the mourning process. We hear from Martha that she's accepted the loss and she's uh, in the morning process because her vision, her dream, her desire is that she'll see him in the resurrection, not this day. She's, she's adopted that mentality that we have when we're, you know, well, they're in a better place. Well, you know, they're in the presence of the Lord. Well, they've inherited their eternal reward. She's, it's a done deal. They've moved on. They've, she's accepted it. It's finished. But she comes directly to the Lord, and, and her approach is direct. She says, Lord, I know if you had been here, you could have stopped it. So she, there's not a, a problem with her faith. In fact, we see that her faith is undiminished because in verse 22, uh, she says, I, I know that whatever you ask now, you can, God will give it to you. There, there's some commentary that says, well, she knew he was going to raise him from the dead. I don't believe that. I don't believe that at all. I believe she knew that Christ was Christ. I believe that she knew he could ask whatever he wanted. But in my opinion, she believed he didn't want it. Or he would have been there sooner. And, and so she, her faith is undiminished. We see her faith is very doctrinal. In verse 24, she says, I know that he's going to rise again in the last day. That's true. That's doctrinally true. We also see that her faith is very devoted. In verse 27, she says, I know that you're the Christ. Here we have this picture of this very practical and proactive approach. I want you to think about how the Lord responds to her because it's different than the way he responds to Mary. What does he say to her? He gives her back doctrine. 
He responds to her the way she responded to him. His immediate response, very practical. It's very reassuring. It's a promise of restoration. Uh, he reminds her of the resurrection and the eternal security of the believer. She comes to him and says, I know that, that, that you're the Christ, and I know that you can have whatever you want, and I know that he'll rise again on the last day. And the Lord just repeats all that back to her. You're right, I am the resurrection and the life. You're right. Uh, uh, if... If a man believes, uh, he's, he's as good as alive, even if he's dead. He just gives her right back that doctrine. That's the encouragement that she needed. That was what she was looking for. Now, we juxtapose that to Martha, or to Mary, excuse me. I want you to look at Mary's approach. It's, it's, it's a little comical. But look, I, we live in this world. I watch people all the time. I'm a professional people watcher. And, and look, at, look at verse uh, 29. This is when Mary decides to go to the Lord. As soon as she heard that, the, the, what she heard was, the master is close by and he's asking about you. As soon as she heard that, she arose quickly and came unto him. Now, Jesus was not yet coming to the town, but was in that place where Martha met him. The Jews then, which were with her in the house and comforted her, when they saw Mary, that she arose hastily and went out, followed her, saying, She goeth unto the grave to weep there. So I want you to first get this picture of the way Mary goes. Her approach is very passionate, very reactive. If, if you use your imagination just a little bit, it's almost like a Scarlet O'Hara type moment. I could see her throwing the, the, the mourner's veil off and, and casting herself out the door and, and a wail of emotion. And so all the people would say, oh, she's going to the grave to mourn. And she would throw herself at the feet of Jesus. Look, I want to tell you something. I want to make a, 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 a confession right here. I recognize this because I, I'm that way. I'm an emotional person. I don't particularly crave the spotlight. In fact, I don't. But I do look over my shoulder every once in a while and make sure everybody's watching me. It's just my personality. I'm an emotional person. I'm a, I'm a very passionate individual when I respond to something. Sometimes people even get their feelings hurt the way I respond. And it's, it's not anger, it's passion. It's, it's just emotion. I recognize, that in fact, I've told my children, this will give you a good insight into, into me, I've told my children for the last 30 years, when I die, I want you to hire 30 paid mourners, because I want everybody to know somebody died. <laughs> I'm just an emotional person. And that's, that's, how, that's how Mary's approach is. It's almost desperate. It's, it's evocative. It, when she went to the Lord, when she decided to go to the Lord, everybody knew that she was going somewhere. Everybody knew that she was emotional. And then when she comes to the Lord, uh, she throws herself at His feet, fell down at His feet, verse 32, saying unto Him, Lord, if Thou had been here, my brother would be alive. Pure emotion. Pure emotion. It's demonstrative and emotional. Martha approached the Lord and spoke to Him. Mary approached and fell at His feet. Oh, there's such a difference. 
Martha would come and say, Lord, I need to talk. And Mary would come and say, Lord, where were you at? And the Lord would say to Martha, you're right, I'm the resurrection and the life. And he would say to, to Mary, it, it says that he, he groaned in his spirit. He was moved when Jesus therefore saw her weeping and the Jews weeping. He groaned in the spirit and he was troubled. And he was saying to her, I feel your pain. I hear you. I understand. I know that it hurt. It says a couple of verses later, he wept. And we see his response to her was purely emotional like she needed. He took her as she came. Two different approaches to the Lord. One, one is practical and founded on doctrine and, and logic and the other is very passionate and founded on the relationship of love. But both are received by the Lord and both seem to be accepted. And then in verse 43 and 44, the sisters both receive an identical answer from the Lord. They had the same anticipation. They get the same answer, but two completely different approaches. They get this answer, and the answer is, Lazarus, come forth, and he came forth. They, they get their brother restored to them. They, they get back that relationship that was lost. The morning is turned into dancing, as the song would say. And, and in chapter 12, we see them all gathered together for a meal and fellowship again. That Everything is put back the way it was supposed to be. The desire was for a healing, but it seemed like a lost cause, and as if it were too late. But what they received was a healing. They came separately in different manners. They received the things which they sought, but had long given up on, even in light of their totally different approaches. They got that thing which they needed. This is my question. Have you come to God for anything lately? Expectant? anticipatory, believing. And when you came, if you came, did you come as yourself? Did you put on some, some religious cloak? Did you, did you think of some rote prayer? Some, or did you come to the Lord in honesty, in truth, with your heart open and weeping, or with your mind open and believing? Did you come as yourself? Have you approached God in truth and in honesty? You say, well, I don't know what I would pray for. Are you self-reliant? I don't know what I would pray for. Have you prayed for revival? You prayed for the lost souls? Have you prayed for a burden? Would you stand with me this morning? Your heads bowed and your eyes closed.
I wonder if you would come this morning. The altar's open. I wonder if you'd come and just get honest with the Lord. Maybe it's been a minute. Maybe it's been some time. Maybe there's been a, a, a passing of, of time since you've been with the Lord, but he says, come. Come unto me, all you that labor and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Would you come this morning in honesty and truth? He'll take you just like you are. Father, I pray you bless this time of invitation. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you come today?